millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing today, buddy? You alright? Hello, Ryan. I'm so much better than last time. I'm going to start off with an immediate apology. I haven't listened back to the last episode, but I was in a fucking awful mood, and I'll tell you for why. I had a migraine going into it, and then it was a, it was probably the longest episode we've ever done. And like going through, I was just getting worse and worse and worse. So I started off the episode being really angry. And I had a rant which Ryan had to edit out because it was bad. And then, as you might have noticed if you listened, suddenly it just seems like I'm not there anymore. I am there. I was just focusing on surviving. So I'm really yeah. sorry. Better today. <laughs> it's uh, it's very rare that we actually have to edit stuff out. Because the one thing we always said from the start was we wanted it to be a bit not like it, but Joe Rogan-esque in that nothing is sort of cut out. It's pretty much raw. Yeah, it's just like, raw. Everything that yeah. we say, everything we say is put in. Um, there are edits and cuts to like you know close gaps in terms of like big spaces or you know open areas of just nothingness. Um, but for the most part, the majority of the stuff that we say, it's, it's always in there. So it's very rare that we we uh, we cut stuff out. And uh, yeah, you were like at the end of it, you're like. Please just say that. I was just in a bad mood. I don't necessarily agree or, or want that out. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, that was a really rough day. I don't suffer from migraines like ever. So that was, it was quite shocking. But after we finished, I just went, lay in bed, turned all the lights off mm. and just, I just fell asleep. It was, it was bad. So sorry about that. Today, much healthier for a less cheery yeah. episode, which is shocking because how can Napoleon part three be cheery? But I've been told that this is not cheery at all. Oh, no. So the one thing I was super excited about with finishing the Napoleon series is being able to talk more on the true crime. Because, listen, we know this is my bag. This is a bit of me. 
Uh, I like the true crime stuff. I like the bastards of the world. Um, and I've realised that the show has very much become a bit more true crimey than it originally started out with. Remember, we used to just do one bad person a month, and now it's like that. That was it, the initial just... idea. It was like one bad person a month, and we're going to show how good people are, and that's only descended into wow, people are fucking awful. <laughs> we ran out of it's, good people. It's just more interesting, isn't it? Um, so, <laughs> I w- I've been really looking forward to this one. Now, this episode uh, was on our Patreon, so this has been voted. Uh, voted for by the patreon listener uh, subscribers christ good start uh this show has been um voted for by the patreon subscribers now uh i heavily uh recommend that you join us on the patreon there are some bits coming up there's some been some delays with some of the stuff that we said will be coming out um but they will get there eventually uh, but if you head over to the patreon one of the main things you'll get is one ad free ep- episodes which i know is incredibly fucking annoying but uh from a, from a little business perspective it's incredibly lucrative for us and very very helpful um so it's meant that we're able to plan some more things and we've got some ideas in the pipeline already um so we're going to be working on those throughout the year and that's because of the ads but if you head over to patreon you can get that ad free and just not have to listen to the shit uh like tyrrell's crisps um the I other think amazon's benefit... a big one isn't it i don't know amazon's... our ad list yeah amazon's big on there um but Who another the good doesn't... thing who doesn't know about Amazon, though? Why does Amazon need to advertise? It's like McDonald's adverts. <laughs> At no point do they ever use the word McDonald's in McDonald's adverts. You're just like, oh, it's McDonald's. Some brands yeah. are so recognisable, you don't need to advertise anymore. Just stop. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, the other really good thing you get on there is you get your episodes uh, a day before everybody else. So you get to listen to them before everyone else gets to listen to them, which I think is quite exciting. Uh, but the, uh, the one of the really cool things is you get to vote on episodes that we do in the future. So uh, every time that a Patreon episode has gone up, uh, we put up a, uh, a poll where you get to vote on who we cover in the future. And... Uh, the, uh, the results of the latest poll was Issei Sagawa, um, a man from Japan. So thank you very much for Patreon, guys, because I really wanted to do this episode for a very long time. And you've allowed me to do that. Thank you. Um, so shall we get into it? Let's. Alrighty then. It feels like only yesterday that we were covering the story of Armin Mivis, the only known cannibal case in German legal history and playing the famous game Totschlag or Maud. <laughs> Yet here we are again, covering another cannibal. Who knew there were so many out there? Except this time we're going to the other side of the world. We're heading to Japan today to talk about a man named Issei Sagawa, the Kobe cannibal. So, post war Japan is a wild time. Massive structural projects were ongoing to rebuild a lot of its decimated cities. American GIs were bringing in Western ways of doing things. Little things like walking alongside a girl that you're courting instead of walking a couple of feet in front of her, which was custom before occupation. The West even brought in fast food like McDonald's and had some help in evolving modern day manga and anime by bringing over comic books like Superman and Batman. Nice. It was a time of hope for many. And for the Sagawa family, based in Kobe City, that hope came in the form of children. Issei Sagawa was born April 26, 1949, to a wealthy family. His father would be the president of a water company in Kobe, and his mother was a typical housewife, but a strong Catholic, which is quite rare in Japan, apparently. Um, As of 2021, there were fewer 
than half a million Catholics in the entirety of Japan, which is less than half of 1%. So it's just not a thing, really, over there. Very rare. No, they're, they're not a very religious country, are they? They've got, was it Shintoism? Is that... Yeah, Shintoism, I think. and um... But I think atheism's their, their main one. I just want to go back to something you said, though. One of my favourite facts about Japan, and I find it hilarious, I think it's Okinawa, and there's somewhere there's one other place in Japan, it's the highest obesity ratings, uh, like, highest obesity rates in Japan are where US military bases are, where all the fast food is. <laughs> and that, that, to me, is wonderful, that America just brought obesity to Japan. That does not surprise me. And if it was Okinawa, I would not be surprised at all because America. I think has Okinawa a very... is definitely one. Yeah. But yeah, they just bought all the shit over, and now the Japanese people in that region are f- fat. Whereas in other <laughs> regions where they fish for a living, they're nice and slender and have an expected age of what ninety nine. Yeah, Japan's a really interesting country because they're a homogenous nation. So like the majority of the country is ethnically J- Japanese, right? So yeah. there's not there's not that many. Uh, foreigners and and a mixing of of races and cultures and stuff like that it's very much just japanese and a lot of people are slim fairly small so when foreigners do go over there they do get looked at in a funny way if you're really tall you're like oh my god and if you're rather rotund like apparently it's quite it's not uncommon for a japanese person to point out the fact that you're fat and they don't necessarily (laughs) mean it in a way that look at you you're fucking huge but they're like oh my god observational yeah, it's just observational, and they just they just say it. <laughs> I quite Bless like them. that. I just think yeah. that Japan had the best rebrand of anyone ever. How do oh, you yeah. go from kamikaze fighters, like horrend? What Japan did in the war was horrific. They were horrendous, 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 and now all of a sudden it's kawaii. Japan's so cute. How have they done it? Germany can't escape their past image. Like they're they're stuck with it forever, even though they've tried to rebrand. But Japan immediately rebranded, and they've done it so well. There's um a famous uh, podcaster historian uh, Dan Carlin. Um, he did a really good like series on um the war in the Pacific. Um, and it's so good. And the one thing he said about the Japanese, um, and I'm gonna butcher it. I can't remember exactly, but he said how. The Japanese at that time in particular are just like you and me, but more so. So everything that you do, they do that too, but more so. So if you're into something, they're into it too, but more so. And it's like almost basically him saying that like whatever they do, they do it to the nth degree. And then if you're going to stop doing it and do something else, they'll just stop doing it and then do the next thing. And that was something that like... I was I thought about this quite a lot. Obviously, we're looking at Japan post-war, and obviously, during the war and just before, really, really different. And remember as well, Japan was an ally of all the allies in World War One, mm. fairly, if you could call it, on the nice side. Um, and then all of a sudden, they're like, uh, uh, "Sorry, who, who are you again?" Like, like Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and I think it's one of those things. It's just like after the Second World War, they were like, "Okay, we're just going to stop doing this now." And then they went. Okay, fine. So they just stopped doing it. And then America was like, we don't want you to ever fight a war against us again. And they, were, they went, we'll do one better. We just won't have an army anymore. And they went, we don't, no, 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 you don't have to do that. And they went, nah, fuck it. We won't have an army anymore. We'll never go to war. We're a pacifist nation now. Thank you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So That's mad. You go from the just, rape of Nanking to that. Yeah. It's really, really, really bizarre. So uh, as Dan Carlin says, uh, the Japanese are just like you and me, but more so. It makes sense. They're very, very passionate people. My cousin lives in Japan, 
and my brother's been a few times, which are really funny in my family because my great granddad was captured by the Japanese and he was kept in a Japanese prisoner of war camp, which must have been horrific. Like that's oh, the yeah. one people you don't want to be captured by. And then he, when he came back, he refused to have anything Japanese in his house. So like, all electronics, cars, nothing. Like, you can't have anything J- Japanese in the house. <laughs> and now my cousin is married to a Japanese woman, and my brother's been several times and fucking loves it. Like, my great-granddad yeah. is rotating like a rotisserie chicken in his grave. <laughs> He's oh, not happy. Bless. No. Um, I I am desperate to go there, so I, I will go there one day. Um, anyway, let's get back on. So Seagal was born very prematurely. It was said that he was so small he could fit in the palm of his father's hand, which is very small. That's tiny. It's tiny. In fact, he was a sickly child, not to be surprising there. Uh, He would forever be small and weak, possibly due to the fact that he was born premature, but he would grow to be no taller than four foot nine, which legally makes him a dwarf. Because uh, 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 four foot ten and below is considered dwarf legally. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I is would it? encourage you all, by the way, just to have a little, uh, have a little Google search image of uh, Issei Sagawa and just look at the dude. Because I don't think it quite conveys how small he actually is in any of the pictures. He just kind of looks he, like a normal guy. Does he have guy. dwarfism? Was he diagnosed with dwarfism? No, he's just, he just really small. small. Does he have a like, hormone? Dude. Something wrong with the hormones or something? I have no idea. It's never really explained. I don't really think he knows. He just despises the fact that he is small and weak. Nah, um, little man syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Now, the family were fairly typical as post-war Japanese families go. The father was a hard-working businessman who wanted nothing but for his children to be successful and would stop at nothing to make that happen. And the mother was very caring, the kind of mother who just cannot see the faults in their children. And they were both quite conservative, which Sagawa claims may have been a barrier to his upbringing which i kind of understand a little bit if your parents are very conservative like you might not be able to get away with certain things you might not experience certain things it's a you're the type of kid that when you go to university but you've never really drank or did drugs and all of a sudden you're the guy that does it all because you just can now yeah that's what happens at university stays in university but if you are going to uni for the first time you don't have to say yes to everything moderation is key folks just have fun in moderation um, now, uh, I think, to be fair, this is the only warning I'm going to give. Uh, this is a general warning for the entire show, um, but I thought I'd just put it here. Nothing in this episode is nice, and it's all grim and graphic from here on, less than 500 words in. So, this is Gold Star Territory. Uh, you get a biscuit if you pass and get through the entirety of this uh, section. Now... When he was old enough to have his first erection, he thought he was sick and something was wrong with him. And he claims that because his parents never mentioned the word sex in his life, he then had no basis for understanding what it was that was happening to him. Because apparently all parents talk about sex to their children. Yeah, at right? no point before my first, er- this is personal, before my first erection, I am a man, I have had one. Did my parents sit me down and go, this is what's going to happen to you? That conversation yeah. <laughs> didn't take place, but at no point did I think I was dying. Listen, James, tonight's the night. You're going to have an erection, but don't be scared. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> parents, not... don't don't have that conversation with your children. That's so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and he also says that he didn't know how to masturbate properly because, again, apparently there's a guide. Uh, I think there's it's more of a schooling issue. Isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think this is a schooling issue more than anything, instead of a parent's failing him, right? Because, to be clear, his parents most certainly are going to fail him in his life, but this is not the moment they've done this. This is just a schooling issue. He's not been taught sex education properly. Yeah. Um, therefore doesn't know what to do. Now, this next bit is not good for anyone, but for you, James, you're a big old dog lover, so you're not going to like this. Oh, no, if so, a dog dies, so, I'm out. No, it doesn't die. Sagawa okay. says that since he had no idea how to masturbate properly, it led him nah. to doing... Nah. <laughs> oh, carry on. Sorry, but I think I know where this yeah. is going. It Well, it led him to doing weird things like, quote, letting his dog lick it off. Now, I don't know what that means exactly because he doesn't elaborate on it. But either way, letting your dog lick it off and saying, I didn't lick know how to masturbate... Off. Yeah, I don't know what that means. There's I think two he's ways just used. I think he's just used the wrong terminology there. I think in my head, I think it's what everyone's thinking right now. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. But um, yeah, either way, don't have your animals anywhere near you when you're doing anything intimate. That's just weird. Just kick them out and do what you got to do. That's yeah. Mm. Anyway, at school, Sigawa was starting to develop some odd thoughts. In his first grade, he'd taken a liking to a young male classmate. In fact, he said to himself about this. Um, the quivering meat on a male classmate's thighs. I suddenly thought, hmm, that looks tasty, but I'm not homosexual. <laughs> I like these in first grade. Now, first grade, I looked it up, is about sort of six or seven. Oh, great. Um, so <laughs> he's looking at like his fellow classmate and being like, you look yummy. <laughs> not in a gay way, no homo. <laughs> no homo, just... Man... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in high school, he also developed a liking for a female classmate. In fact, he liked her a lot, so much so that whenever he attempted to talk to her, he felt as though he'd be sick. Uh, in fact, he recalls how one day he saw her thighs and almost fell over sideways. Wow, that's, he's smitten. That's yeah, that's that's pretty typical for like your average yeah. teenage kid. Like you know, you it's see when the legs, and you're like, Ooh! Well, when they flash a bit of ankle. Oh, oh yeah. Now, in his early 20s, he sent off to Tokyo to attend university. Though he was academically smart, managing to bag himself a master's degree in English literature, it was here at Tokyo where Segal would commit his first crime on a human. I'm counting the dog thing as a crime against animals, by the way. I don't know what it is, but that's a crime. Segal had discovered that his love for girls was very particular. He was obsessed with Western women. The reason why, he says, is because he's short and weak, and Western women are tall and beautiful. Almost incel-like, you know, where like he knows that women aren't likely to find him attractive because he's weak and ugly, and they all feel, oh, yeah. so sorry for myself. Oh. Anyway, I don't also think it's very strange to like a woman that's taller than you. So, like, my mum is taller than my dad was. Is that something that bothers you, James? Do you, you don't mind a taller woman? No, I don't care. Like, if it, if it was like... I don't know, gargantuan, like really. Then suddenly there's an, there's an. Do you know what I mean? Like a little bit tall. Like I'm five eleven. If they're like I don't know six foot six foot, I don't I don't give a fuck. But if they're like eight foot, then we might have to have a conversation about that. <laughs> it just it just reminds me of um, Dwight when he meets the the varsity basketball team. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Like, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't have any beef. But I think majority of women are, are smaller, like 
around five six five seven i think is the average isn't it i don't know five eight i don't fucking yeah. know who cares yeah <laughs> so sagawa's liking for taller stronger women is not abnormal but what he's about to do is Sigal was made aware of a German woman who was living in the same block of apartments as his grandmother in Tokyo. He was obsessed with her. There was some light stalking before one day he decided he wanted to get a taste of her and not in the fun way. One day he snuck into her ground floor apartment through an open window. Inside he found the woman lying in her bed asleep, naked. Now the thing is, Sagawa hadn't really thought anything through properly. He got in, but he didn't really know what he was going to do. And what he wanted to do was eat her, but he hadn't figured out how. He actually said of this that his intention was to just slice off a piece of her buttocks and leave. But how does one get that forbidden meat? Yeah, like she's not going to notice. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. She's going to wake up. Oh, part of my bum's missing. (laughs) Do you, it's a, do you remember there's, a, there's an episode of Family Guy where Meg goes on a date with a guy that she really likes and it's going really well and she just wakes up in a bathtub and she's had her kidneys nicked? <laughs> yeah, I don't think... I mean, it's uncommon, but I think that's the thing that happens, isn't it? People drug you and steal your organs. I've heard stories of this happening. How true they are, I don't know. Anyway, Sagawa decided that he was going to strike her on the head with an umbrella that would knock her out. <laughs> Once out cold, mm. he would then slice off a piece of her buttocks with a knife from the kitchen. But clumsy Sagawa got a little too close to the woman. His knees brushed up against her naked body, waking her up. She screamed the house down and actually managed to wrestle Sagawa to the floor while the police came. That because like he's a just a weak, tiny little fucking Yeah, he's tiny and, and she's quite tall by his standards. I can imagine he? he was enjoying it a little bit when he's being restrained oh, no, by this get off of me. Amazon. Get off of me. <laughs> help me, help me. I th- what I don't find really interesting about that one is that she has no idea how close she came to being murdered by yeah. this absolute cretin. And the wild bit about this story is, is that when he was arrested, he was arrested for attempted rape, right? Is that what they now, thought he was trying to do? That's it. Sagawa broke into the house of a woman with the intent of slicing off a part of her body and eating it, and the police are holding him for attempted rape. (laughs) Needless to say, he kept his mouth shut and didn't say why he was actually there and just fully just accepted the charges. (laughs) I'm trying to think what would get you less time in prison, attempted rape or attempted cannibalism. I mean, it would have gone down as attempted murder, wouldn't it? Um, And uh, I think at this time, he may have been executed for it as well. Uh, if that right. was the case, I don't know. But um, yeah, you imagine they went, uh, we're going to do you for attempted rape. And he went, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Phew. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, God. worse of all, he gets off scot-free. He what? never spent a day in jail for this. Why? Because of business, daddy. Sagawa-sama pulled a few strings and made a couple of payments promising to send his son to therapy and they just bought it. Sagawa was released. Now, you might be wondering, what on earth do you do with your son at this point? Because I can't imagine what I would do if I had a son who was a sex offender, let alone knowing, not knowing that that sex offender was doing only half of that desire. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What would you do like, if your son 
was that way inclined? What, would you even try and bail him out? You'd be like, you get a phone no, call. No, I'd be like, the you're going to have your punishment. You're, you're going to jail, son. Yeah. and but, but then the funny thing is, you know, on the phone, he's like, what were you doing? Attempted rape. And he's going, no, dad, it wasn't that. I wasn't trying to do that. And you're like, okay, I believe you. You didn't want to do that. And he's just keeping quiet. Like, I wanted to eat. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> your Japan's anyway. sex laws, though, even at the minute, are still quite weird, aren't they? To, to Western standards. Like, I think paedophilia in Japan isn't as frowned upon as it is here. Like, I remember watching a documentary, yeah. and forgive me if I got it wrong, but you are you're you're legally allowed to have like underage porn, I believe. Maybe they've changed it. I don't know. It was it was uh, when we were doing an episode on I cannot remember the gentleman's name, but it was the last one we did in Japan with a guy. That was oh, was it children. Shoko Asahara? No, no, not Shoko Asahara. I've realised. Yeah, we've done every every episode we've done in Japan has been negative. So I'm really sorry about that, Japan. I do love you, um, <laughs> uh, but. Um, yeah, no, I can't remember what his name was now. But it was a guy in Japan. It was the vampire dude. And he, um, yeah, it was a Stacey Dooley documentary you're referring to. And there, Yeah, that's, that's how, exactly what's in my head. At the time, I think it had changed where it wasn't it wasn't illegal to own it. It was just illegal to produce it, which is why a lot of people ended up having adults who, who are young looking. Yeah. And that's how they kind of get away with it. Still anyway. weird, 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 weird. Yeah, we we kind of ref, we kind of look at that later on, but we don't go into it too deeply at all. Now, during these therapy sessions that his dad made him go on, Sagawa revealed a little too much about his fantasies, and it was a notable concern for the therapist who then made the parents aware of this. Now, later in life, Sagawa would reflect on why he thinks the way he does by saying, quote, Maybe it's because I come from another planet or another dimension and I accidentally fell to earth like a meteorite disguised as a baby crying on the street. My mother walked by and took pity on me. I must have come from a place of cannibals and I'm the only one of my kind who exists on this planet. That seems logical. <laughs> this bloke needs a lobotomy or something. He's, he's off his rocker. He has issues, yeah, 100% he has issues. But also, the idea that you, you know, I must have come from a place of cannibals, I'm the only one of my kind who exists on this planet, I just don't think that makes sense, because he wouldn't want to... I'm the he, only he one be... of my kind. Yeah, how yeah. do you come from a planet of cannibals but be the only one of your kind? And also, if you, I don't know, if you come from cannibals... I, I, it's weird, it's weird. Anyway. Either way, now, it's this... not true. It's It's not true, by the way. Now, this would be concerning talk for any parent to hear from their child, but Sagawa's father had the right solution up his sleeve. Make it someone else's problem. <laughs> um, it seems that he cared, but he was like, I know what will fix this. I'm going to send him abroad to broaden his horizons and hopefully make him grow up, <laughs> even though he doesn't really know that his son wants to eat someone. He thinks he's an attempted rapist, and he's like, I'm going to send him abroad to grow up a bit. So, on his 28th birthday, his father sent him packing to France, where he enrolled at Sorbonne University to study comparative literature. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, a young man in Paris for the first time. No friends or family for support. He doesn't even speak French. He speaks a little bit of English because he studies some English literature. So he kind of, yeah. I think he can read it and translate it. But he doesn't speak French. Uh, it must have been quite an overwhelming experience to start. Which leads me to ask, James, have you heard of Paris Syndrome? Paris Syndrome? Yeah. Is the... Right, I said, you told me that France was involved in this episode, and I said, I will bash them, but I'll do it politely. <laughs> so, is Paris Syndrome where you think it's the city of love and it's beautiful, and then you get there and realise that it's fucking awful? Yes, but it's very specific so, Paris Syndrome is a phenomenon that particularly affects Japanese tourists going to wow. Paris for the first time. Paris is seen as a dream place, somewhere that for many Japanese people is a once-in-a-lifetime trip that they've heard about in terms of how wonderful it is, how it has amazing architecture, the amazing food, the beautiful people in the city of love. And then they're overwhelmed by the reality which is rubbish all over the streets, districts that look like prisons, unfriendly locals, and everything being so alien to their culture that some fragile travellers can have full-on breakdowns. In fact, quite a, lot of, quite a lot of hotels actually have like a therapist or someone who is good with that who can talk to the Japanese that's guests so who can funny. get overwhelmed. How oh, funny that's is that? But the th- I, I mean, Paris has that effect on everyone. It's not what you think it is. Some people love it. I don't understand those people. It's weird. I'll go to Rome. Rome's better. Even London's better than Paris. But like, whenever you see Japanese tourists in the UK, I think they kind of get the UK a bit more. They're always so enthusiastic about everything. They're loving every second. We used to get a lot at the castle. Um, but one third funny thing is my uh, cousin's now wife, when she first came over here, I think she had in her mind like, what England was going to be, like really quaint little villages, really cute Shakespeare, that kind of stuff. Mm. And then she ended up in Northfield, which is a suburb of Birmingham and is not great. (laughs) And it must have been just like a fucking culture shock to just arrive in Birmingham thinking you're going to be in some little village and it's just grey. But that's that's an aside. Um, Do your research on places before you go. Well, this is the thing. So, obviously, Paris in particular um, has uh, it's the city of love. It's got great PR, right? Um, but I find this phenomena absolutely hilarious, especially at the unfriendly locals part. Um, that's it's one thing that obviously it? shocks them a lot. So, in Japan, um, customers always write vibes. So, as yeah, soon as yeah, a customer walks in, respectful. they are very respectful like the customer is your entire world when they walk in there in paris you walk in there and they don't even acknowledge the fact that you've walked in sometimes and that that and that's that wasn't me making that up that's a genuine something i read saying no no it is is. yeah yeah they're lovely now to sort of combat that london is known for people who like to keep to themselves right generally in the uk we southerners get deemed to be like unfriendly and all this kind of stuff but i think they're just people keeping themselves to themselves and 
just, you know, you're getting on with stuff. I don't want to bother you more than you're mm. going to annoy me. But I think generally, if you ask a Londoner for directions or something, they will help you out because I think Brits are inherently a polite people. But Parisians, I've heard many a tale of Parisians being absolutely fucking rude to foreigners. They're, they're like, bastards. They're all God bastards. forbid. God forbid you try to speak English to them, right? They will just not respond to you at all. And even if you try to yeah. speak French, I've heard many a story. If you just try to speak broken French, they'll just ignore you. They really just don't care. <laughs> yeah. this is. I think this is where I get it wrong a lot. I sometimes generalise the whole of France and people are like, no, it's Paris. You don't like the rest of the France. The rest of France is fine, which is fine. I haven't been to the rest of France, but I've been to Paris. Um, Parisians, there's just something off about them. Like, like there's an arrogance to them, which is fine. It's your city, but... Also, without tourism, I don't think Paris is what it is. So maybe just sort of buck up your ideas a little bit. <laughs> now, listen, listen. I know there are a few, very few French listeners. If you're from Paris or you like Paris and you want to defend it, that's absolutely fine. If we've got it wrong, fucking go for it in the comments. No, we, we haven't know. got it wrong. So it's awful. Message us. But yeah, Paris Syndrome, totally a thing. Anyway, that's enough French bashing. Let's move on. Now, apart from seeing all the sights, Sagawa solved his loneliness by bringing sex workers back to his apartment of a night to keep him company. But because he is alone, he's starting to feel that hunger come back. He manages to secure himself a 22 caliber rifle and on many of a night, he is pointing that thing at the back of sex workers' heads without them knowing and he just wants to pull that trigger. But for some reason, he cannot. It's just not clicking for him. Now, we discovered this in the Mivis story, that quite a lot of cannibals are just looking for the right person. So yeah. for some, it's not just eating a human being for the sake of it. There are some, of course, that are like that. But it's for a lot of people, it's more about what it means when you eat a person. So mm. like some believe that you absorb the qualities and the energies of that person you consume. For Sagawa... He just hasn't found the right person yet until he meets Rene Hartevelt. Now, Rene is a 25-year-old Dutch woman studying in Paris. She's into literature like Sagawa, particularly German poetry. She's taller than him. She was beautiful and full of life, and he was besotted by her. He thought she was so beautiful that he was concerned he'd be caught staring at her in classes, so instead which is not weird, drew sketches of her to look at every now and then. What he's doing whilst looking at these sketches, we will not speculate, but I doubt it's just admiring the artwork. Well, has he been taught how to do that yet? Or is he still like, what's happening? I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> he's just trying to like roll it up really thin and just shove it down. His... <laughs> <laughs> now, it seems that Rene wasn't too bothered with Sagawa. He's four foot nine and weighs less than 50 kilograms. He's no real threat. He's just a lonely guy in a foreign country like she is. And she has a level of sympathy toward him and agrees to help him with their German poetry assignments. So Rene would often swing by Sagawa's in an evening to read through poetry with him, translating it and reading it aloud into a recorder for him to then practice against when she's not there. All the while, he's staring at her like Wiley Coyote stares at Roadrunner. On several occasions, he thinks that this will be the night he eats her, but he bails on several occasions. On one night, he pulls the trigger, but the rifle misfires, and he immediately hides the gun and pretends nothing happened. He tries to make a sexual move on her one night, but she declines the invitation, 
and weirdly this doesn't stop her coming over and i think it's just because she's like oh look i like you as a friend like let's just leave it there a little bit yeah Yeah, exactly that yeah this just feels sorry for him which is probably the worst thing she ever did Mm. now on the 11th of june 1981 renee comes over for the last time sagawa now 32 at this point said about this night quote what i truly wish was to eat her living flesh nobody believes me but my ultimate intention was to eat her not necessarily to kill her but i came to the realization that in order to eat her i had to kill her yeah it kind of goes hand in hand doesn't it yeah it goes hand in hand but do you know what annoyingly and i, I found this out with the uh, arm in my this story when i was looking through the old cannibal cafe stuff <laughs> A lot of people are saying that like they're not that interested in killing a person. Mivis wasn't necessarily bothered about killing someone. He just wanted to eat human flesh. So it's weird that people feel like that and they don't necessarily want to kill someone. Now, after some dinner, Renee was sat at the table talking into the recorder as they normally did of an evening. Sagawa then took out the 2-2 caliber rifle, pointing it at her head. His hand trembling, he knew he needed to just do it. He pulled the trigger. The round penetrated the back of her head, killing her immediately. Renee slumped over the table and then fell off the chair onto the floor. Now, just as a side note before we get into the gruesome stuff, um, it might be something that we look out for in future episodes, but I found out that um, a 2-2 caliber round is particularly fucking deadly. And I used to fire these as an army cadet. Uh, I used to fire a Lee Enfield rifle. And it fired a 2-2 caliber round. And I used to remember thinking, like, oh, these are so tiny, they're so small. Like, these surely these aren't that dangerous, but they fucking are. Like, these actually can kill people. And the reason why is that a 2-2 round is powerful enough to enter the human body, but it's not powerful enough to exit, which oh. means that what it tends to do is move around inside the body. And so, if someone is shot in the head with a 2-2 round, it would just ricochet around the skull, destroying the brain. Fucking hell. Yeah. And so a 2-2 round rifle is also incredibly quiet. So comparing it to other firearms, it's easily mistaken to be just like a car backfiring or just something else. So back to it. Renee is lying lifelessly on the floor of Sagawa's apartment. Blood oozing from her head, he begins to realise what it is to kill a human being. In fact, he at this point considers calling an ambulance, but decides not to, saying about this moment, quote, Then I thought, hang on, don't be stupid. You've been dreaming of this for 32 years and now it's actually happening. So instead, he lay a towel under her head and started to undress her where he then proceeded to perform necrophilia. When he's done, he admires her naked body as it lay there face down. He decided that he wanted to eat her buttocks. Like a fucking animal, he got down and bit into her right cheek. He said that it had to be the right one because the heart was on the left and he was scared that biting into the left cheek would produce more blood because he's so fucking smart. Yeah, that logic doesn't make any sense, but go off. Also, your heart's in the middle, right? Yeah. Sagawa was surprised to learn that her skin was a lot harder to bite into with his bare teeth and it actually hurt his jaw trying. He tried to use a fruit knife, but again, it wasn't working. So he did what any sane person would do and left her body in the apartment whilst he went out to buy a meat knife and an electric meat slicer. And this worked. 
Unlike Armin Mivis, who had done some homework before and knew a little bit about the human body, Segal was learning as he went. He managed to cut into Renee's right cheek and was displeased to find a, quote, corn-like substance. It was fatty tissues. He assumed that when you cut into a person, you would see red meat like in a butcher's. While playing a recording of Renee's voice reciting poetry that she'd done just days ago, Sagawa dissected her body in the bathroom, removing the parts he wanted to eat and bagging up the bits he didn't. In some instances, he has fully stripped her flesh off the bone like her right thigh. In fact, it's just the bone left. That's it. Her right buttocks is removed. Her breasts have been cut off. Her abdomen has been completely opened. She had also been decapitated. And it's noted that he has been biting into her face, eating away at her lips. It's a horrific scene, one that seems unimaginable for a human to do. But he did it. And he said about this, quote, Cutting a body up isn't easy. The torso is extremely heavy. It's really hard to cut to begin with. Now, James, when we recorded our interview with um, Terry Wade, uh, talking about um, Jack the Ripper, you yep. saw the crime scene image of Mary Jane Kelly for the first time. I and did, I yep. think it's safe to say that it disturbed you. I mean, I'm... I would argue that anyone who sees that image and isn't disturbed needs to have a word with themselves. Yeah. Now, um, I the images of Renee's autopsy are, I would oh, argue, fucking hell. On, on par with that. In fact, it's right, horrific to... seeing right, what I've exactly got bolognese he did after to this. Her. After we finish recording, I've literally got bolognese. Do we need to do a fucking hell? Are you brave enough to see these? Oh my! Oh no, that's enough. One will do. That's fine. Thank you. Yeah, that's okay. If anyone is interested in what I've just seen, don't don't be interested and in, don't Google it. That's fucking awful. That's horrendous. It's bad, isn't it? It's really bad. Now that's not okay, man. I I would not recommend searching these out. To be honest, listen, I only found out because, um, to be honest, it's not that hard to find out. But I, when I was doing my research, I stumbled actually across these autopsy pictures. Um, we've established that not a lot phases me, but that was tough to look at. I mean, out of morbid um, curiosity, I'm still looking. Having now described yeah, that's what fucking it, brutal, man. And you know, you, know, you do you get what I mean now when I say that the fact that it seems unimaginable that a human could do this, and he did. You need you need something missing in your psyche to be able to like any other rational human being would look at that and be like that is horrific like I can't do this. Mm. You you have to be wired differently. You've got some sort of um, mental illness of sorts. I don't know, but yeah, ah, it's, uh, it's it's, it's not nice. And like I say, like if you look at the legs, the image of the legs and on the yeah. right leg, it, the thigh is just stripped to the bone. There's nothing. It's horrendous. There. This man needs to be executed immediately. Mm, 100%. Right, let's also look at what he did and how typical it is. In the cannibal world, that is. <laughs> now, he stripped her buttocks and thighs. Now, this is most common among cannibals. This is typically where you'll find the most and, quote, best meat. We also see that he decapitated her. Now, this is almost universally done in all cannibal cases around the world throughout history. 
Removing the head allows the people to disassociate the body from the victim, making it easier for the person dismembering them. Which is, um, for him anyway, the fact that he just, like, decapitates her as well is, like, it's, like, uh, that's that's a knowing thing. You know what you're doing is bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, He knows that's wrong, and he, he's, he's struggling with that, so he takes her head off so that he could do the rest. Now, with the meat he wanted to consume packaged up and away in his fridge freezer, Sagawa knew he needed to get rid of the body ASAP. It's June, and he's concerned that the remains would begin to rot and smell quickly. He stuffed the remains of Renee into two suitcases and called a cab. In a horrible twist of irony, when the cab driver turned up and helped Sagawa place the suitcases into the car... He noted how heavy they were and jokingly asked if he had a dead body in there. Oh, fucking hell. It's like, you know, the um, Breaking Bad scene when Hank's helping Walt load the bags. He's like, what's yeah. in these bags? He's like, it's money. It's a fuck ton of money. And they just laugh it off. <laughs> yeah. oh, don't ask questions. No, Sagawa nervously laughed it off saying it was just books. Um, I'm a student. I've got a load of books. I'm taking them back to the library. And he's like, fucking hell, you got a load of books. Yeah. Now, remember, it's June. It's 8pm, and Sagawa is getting a cab to a park called Bois de Boulogne, where he aims to dump her body into a lake there. This is a stupid idea, and for several reasons. It's the second largest park in Paris, and at just a 10-minute drive away from the Eiffel Tower means it's very fucking popular. Especially Mm. in June. Especially... It's still light. At 8pm when people are still out and about in the daylight sunbathing and drinking with friends. He's not a very clever man, is he? He's not very clever. And the annoying thing is he actually mentions this in an interview. He says how um, when he got there, he was like, oh my God, there are people still sunbathing and drinking and they're just looking at me and I've got these two suitcases. What did he think was going to happen? I know, I know. Now, the last thing these sunbathers expected to see was a four foot nine Japanese man struggling to drag two very heavy suitcases that look sodden with blood, which is in in fact now starting to leave a trail of blood on the pavement. But that's exactly what they saw, and many people were a bit concerned. Now, Sagawa stopping at the lake to take a breath takes in a view of the sunset over the lake and he notices across the lake a man with his child and it's this moment that he snaps back to reality when a man asks him if the suitcases are his Sagawa panics and says no the man takes it upon himself to open them up since they're not his and he's a bit concerned and he discovers blood-soaked bed sheets and human body parts stuffed into the suitcase he immediately screams meurtrier or murderer and Sagawa runs. Back at his apartment he knows that the jig is up. It's only a matter of time before he's caught by the police so he decides to spend his time preparing and eating the rest of Renee. He tried parts raw, he tried parts cooked. He enjoyed most of it but noted that the breasts were not to his liking since they were full of fatty tissue which to him wasn't very nice. After four days of a human meat buffet, he's finally captured by the police who discover the remains of Renee on plates in the fridge. 
Now, weirdly, Sagawa claims that he felt relief at this moment, saying, quote, now I can finally communicate with people. I don't really know what that means. Um, but it's just, just open up about what he's done, I guess. Ramblings of a crazy like, man. Yeah. Now, he was held in prison for two years whilst awaiting trial. All the while, he was seen by three psychiatrists who all agreed that he was mentally unfit to stand trial. The whole uh, reason by insanity, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is. He's fucking crazy. Now, because of this, he cannot be tried and can only be committed to a criminal psychiatric hospital called Paul Giroud Asylum, where he would be held indefinitely. Now, this is something I found really fascinating. In fact, you'll see this quite a lot in Netflix documentaries and stuff, but um, it's genuinely true. A lot of people try and claim the uh, I'm not guilty by reason of insanity and assume that that means you just, you'll just you get off scot-free, you'll go home and that'll yeah, be yeah. it. That's one of the worst things to happen to you because if you're guilty by reason... No, if you're found yeah not guilty by reason of insanity, you get sent to an asylum and guess what? You don't have any definitive time limit in there. You are there until you are, quote, better. Yeah. And that can be any time. So you could just it's, be in there still- forever. And it's still prison, isn't it? You're imprisoned in an asylum. It's not like... You get a little bit more leeway, but um, it is still... You are imprisoned. You're not out. You're not going anywhere. You're not going out. It's not a holiday park. Do you know what I mean? You are in there for... You're in there indefinitely until they say that you are good. The people you're in there with as well would be... Well, I don't know. In in normal prison, they're fucked up people, but you can reason with them in in those places that you, you can't. Yeah, you're going to get a wide range of people in there with mental issues and some people will be over the like, you know, overtly louder or whatever and then people that are you know maybe they had a a break and they are getting better. Um, yeah. There'll be a different load of people. Now, for many including Renee's parents, this was likely not justice at all for them. He was not convicted of murdering, raping and cannibalizing her. He was deemed unfit for trial and held at a hospital receiving treatment. For most this seems unfair and it likely is especially when Sagawa Sama gets involved Sagawa's dad hired a very expensive lawyer who was able to bargain his extradition back to Japan to serve out the rest of his sentence and the French agreed to this but this would be the worst thing that they did once back on Japanese soil Sagawa would spend less than two years in a mental hospital being released and the reason why is batshit insane Now, I haven't checked if this has changed at all since then, but at the time, it was possible to have a Japanese national serving a sentence in another country serve it back on home soil. But Japan needs to have all the court documents for the case and sentencing sent to them so that they can hold their own trial and sentencing, okay? Now, this would have been the case with Sagawa, but... Because he was declared unfit to stand trial, he was never officially convicted under French law and was committed to an asylum instead. So as far as the Japanese legal system saw it, there was officially no crime to put him on trial for. So for murdering, raping and cannibalizing a human being, Issei Sagawa would serve a maximum of two years in prison and was now out and about a free man in japan he basically got away scot-free that's mad that and no one in japan looked at that and went no this is weird yeah 
like James, you have now, and I think it's important, you have seen the images of what yeah, he yeah, did yeah, to yeah, a yeah. human being, and he has just gone back home, and they've gone, ah, fuck it, out you go. Yeah, this man is a danger to society, and will be forever. It's, uh, it's, it's shocking, it's shocking. I, I mean, I wonder what his parents thought of him, right? His mother is a Catholic and clearly cannot see the faults in her son, right? And, and they still maintain some form of a relationship throughout life. So I'm thinking she either was never told the full extent of his crime or she refused to believe it. And the father did everything he could to cover over everything, pulling strings to get his son out of stuff. He should have let his son rot in an asylum because this boy, this boy's about to become famous, James. Hmm. Sagawa has not learned his lesson or reformed. He was still obsessed with Western women and actively sought them out in Japan. He would steal money from his father, running off with his credit card to pay for lavish dates and trips away with these foreign women, and they lapped it up. And why shouldn't they? Get what you can, girls. If a guy's offering you a free drink, that's a fucking winner. You take it. He, you don't owe him nothing. He's offered you. You get. You take that drink. <laughs> Segal was introduced through a German man to two women, Rhonda and Talia both European women who he was obsessed with. They were much taller and stronger looking than him, objectively attractive women who were predominantly travelling together, and he thought they looked tasty. Though he was physically attracted to them both, nothing sexual ever happened, as is typical for Sagawa. Now he wanted to be around them more and more, like he did with Renee. Using his dad's money, he would pay for trips abroad with them. He funded holidays to Canada, Mexico, India, Iceland. He claims that they used him for these inclusive trips. And I say he's not a fucking victim here. He claims that they were like, oh, they've taken advantage of me because I'm really nice and I just like them and they knew that I liked them and so they let me pay for these trips. No, you're not a fucking victim. Grow the fuck up. Mm. He, he would have eaten them given the chance. And they, they had no idea that they were travelling with a murdering rapist cannibal. Now, eventually, one of the girl's boyfriends found out who Sagawa was and warned her to stay away, and he never saw them again, luckily, so they got away there. Yeah. Now, with no real job prospects and living off the bank of mum and dad, Sagawa was contacted by a media company who have heard his story and wanted him to write an opinion piece on a story of a man who has recently been arrested for serial kidnapping and murder. Now, initially, he's confused by the notion... Why do they want his say on things? And naturally, it's because he might have some rare insight into the person who would have committed these crimes. Mm. And to alleviate any hesitation, they slapped down on that table around $15,000. Oh, well, there you go. Money incentive. Uh, money incentive. And that's the start of Sagawa's famous era. Convinced that people want to hear his story, Sagawa writes a tell-all book detailing everything he did, including the autopsy pictures you've just seen, James, and crime scene photos in this book for all to see, and he gets it fucking published. He doesn't hide a fucking thing. Now, it's one thing to, like, do an interview and, like, talk about your crimes. Like, you know, Piers Morgan has been to, like, you know, prisons in America, spoken to serial yeah. killers. And, you know, you see that. That's fine. And we can talk about that. But he he's fucking fully capitalising on his crime by putting the pictures of the shit that he did in the book and putting it out there. 
that must have annoyed the French, surely, because they've just seen, oh, this, this man who came over here, brutalised one of our own, is now profiting on it. And her oh, parents yeah. as well. How did they Think cope of the parents. This? Yeah, think of the parents. Like Because their, how da- their daughter's autopsy pictures are just out there for anyone to see. Yeah. And yeah. and being profited on by the man who did it. Yeah. He's making fucking bank from this. Oh, it... Uh, it's, do you know what, how rare it is for me to get annoyed? And it annoys me. It really yeah, annoys me. Yeah, that's a massive failing of Japan there. They they have long, hard look at themselves. Oh, and it gets worse, dude. It gets fucking worse. In all, Sagao would go on to write 20 books in his lifetime. He plays the naive card and says that he's surprised that people ask him to sign the books. Like, we literally have, as humans, the weirdest fucking obsessions. But come on, you've got a literal fucking cannibal over the road and you've got his book and just go ask him to sign it like i get i understand that to some degree but don't be naive and be like oh i don't know why they keep coming up to me no 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 you you keep putting that shit out there people are gonna buy it now seagal would appear on tv talk shows answering questions about his crimes like they'd be like oh tell us what you did and he's like oh yeah i cut her up and i ate her and they're like oh right interesting like that that was on tv he would be given a column as a sushi critic in a magazine where he once compared human flesh melting in his mouth like raw tuna. (laughs) And no word of a lie here. He appeared on a cooking show to judge meat dishes. Oh, fucking hell. (laughs) That's just... just What do you say to that? I just don't. Come on, And then what's man. annoying, a lot of this footage is fucking archival. You can find it and watch it. I've seen loads of clips of him just on the telly. That's... It's infuriating, dude, is what it is. I don't... Now... I'm I'm lost for words. Yeah. How do you give this man a platform? And then in yeah. such, like, sadistic ways as well. Like, oh, you've eaten human. Come and judge this cooking show. You, yeah. you should definitely be locked up for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, you've kind of alluded to it, but we'll carry on. Now, you might be thinking, what the fuck, Japan, what's going on? And I think the answer to why he was getting these gigs when everyone knew what he was is that Japan at this time was going through a media boom. So many media outlets were competing for views that they were willing to do weird and wild stuff. Having a cannibal on your cooking show as the guest judge was going to get people to watch your show over someone else's. Mm. And... They also tried to fucking argue that since he was never convicted of a crime, it wasn't unethical to have him on. I mean, it fucking is. Oh, 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 not convicted is such a technicality. Mm. Yeah. It's it's like, like, dude, the, the, have the you not read his fucking book? Yeah, he's always admitted to everything. The equivalent to me is like getting Joseph Fritzl to judge Grand Designs. Like, that, <laughs> that's wrong. You don't do it. <laughs> Because because the man built a basement, which is all well and good, doesn't doesn't mean he's a judge. Do you know what I mean? You come it's out the same. fucking shit, man. It's the same. It's a, it is the same. Oh, I was not expecting. Oh man, fucking hell! Wow, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, man. It is fucking unethical to have a murdering rapist cannibal in the fucking limelight for your entertainment. It is fucking unethical. Whether he was convicted or not, you've read his fucking book, you've seen his fucking pictures, you know what he's done. Oh, man. Oh, I can't believe that. That, that Someone clipped that. It's the thing, funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> now, it's bad enough that he is mainstream, but I would argue that it's going to get much fucking worse. Sagawa is approached by a publisher of Lolita Manga. Do you have any idea what Lolita Manga is? Well, manga is sort of Japanese comics, essentially, isn't it? Yep, yep. What's Lolita? Do you know it? Lolita. Oh, why is you know that Lolita Lolita Battle Agent or whatever? No, Lolita. (laughs) I don't know. Isn't Lolita a character in? You're thinking of a a Lolita. A Lolita, right? No, then I don't know what Lolita is. Okay, right. It's basically pornography in cartoon form that sexualizes children or people that look like children. Right. And the workaround for this, these pedo mangas, is writing into the story that the character who looks like a child and is in essence a fucking child is actually thousands of years old, just looks young. Like That's how they get away with it. Anyway... A publisher for these pedo comics approaches Sagawa and put forward an idea of him making his own manga on the crime he committed, and he fucking did it. Like I, we we spoke at the start about Japan having a rebrand after the Second World War. Yeah. This bloke's just done it again, hasn't he? Just get <laughs> get away with literal murder. Yeah. This manga is fucking graphic. Like nothing is hidden. He's actually a half-decent artist, so the artwork is very detailed. There is nothing hidden here. It is his magnus opus, his way of showing off his crime for all to see. Like, like what the fuck, Japan? Like, we know you've got a tricky relationship with porn and sex overall, but where's the morality? Like, who thought... Who's thinking that's a fucking good idea? Oh, let's make your murder into a fucking comic. Fuck off, man. That's so annoying. Yeah, it's weird. It's really annoying. Like, it's, mm. And I've seen, again, I've seen some of the, the fucking panels from this manga. And, like, the detail is just... It's, he's just enjoying it every second of it. Mm. He literally, like, has arguably committed what he would have said is the perfect crime. And he gets to live it out every day and talk about it. And people pay him money yeah. to talk about it. Ah. Now, speaking of the artwork, Segal would go on to do paintings of, quote, beautiful women. He even had a manager that would sell them all over the world. But arguably the worst of it all is these next two bits. In 1995, he's approached by a video producer. He wants to do some videos with him. Now, Segal claims that he didn't know the full extent of what was being asked of him, but I call bullshit. In one of these films, he is mocked for his height and lack of strength. He's often topless, showing his total lack of shape, and made to do athletic activities, showing how pathetic he is physically. He is then filmed while he eats meat, both cooked and raw, and then they got him to reenact his crime on camera, basically shot for shot, but with a twist. The woman is dressed as Little Red Riding Hood, and he is dressed as the wolf. Where he actually, in English, says, all the better to eat you with. Fucking hell, man. This this actress has no idea who he is exactly and what he's done. All the time, 
he's gnawing at her fucking skin on camera. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Sagawa portrays himself as a man who just wants to be left alone, but he's victimised and tricked into doing things that are exploiting his crime. But he's not stupid, right? He knows that his only allure is the fact that he's a murdering rapist cannibal who got away with facing justice for his crime. People are fascinated by him and he's leaning into it. He's enjoying it 100%. Every time someone comes up to him and gives him an opportunity to talk about his crime, you know he's got a raging boner. That he's and scared really... of. Yeah, that he's then scared of. <laughs> Now, it really is a weird phenomenon. I cannot tell if the fascination comes from admiration or if it's the same kind of fascination people got with freak shows. They know what he is. Is he being glamorised as a celebrity or as a morbid curiosity? Maybe he's not seen as another human, but as a monster that you can't help but stare at. And I'll put that out there to you. What do you think? Why are people giving him this platform and why are they so obsessed with him? I mean, this takes me back to one of the first conversations we ever had about this podcast. I remember where we were, we were on the train station, weirdly, and talking like, why do people like true crime? Why are people interested in true crime? And I think that's what this question is, essentially. People, I think yeah. people are fascinated with things that are deemed wrong, things that we're not capable of ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, the thought of murdering someone to you and me and hopefully to all of our listeners is horrendous, especially in this manner. But we're kind of mm. like, but how do people get to that point where they can do this? It's interesting yeah. the human psyche, I suppose. It's morbid, no, I, and I think I think some podcasts go the wrong way as well. Maybe, I don't know whether we do. You'd have to let us know whether, like, giving these people sort of their hour where we talk about them is the wrong thing to do. I, maybe there's a morality question in that, whether you should fuck them off and forget about them because they're absolutely degenerate. But there is something interesting about them. People love true crime. Like everyone enjoys watching shit about serial killers because we yeah. wouldn't do it ourselves. And we like, think, out, how would you be a serial killer? How would you get away with it? It's all fun and games. Yeah. No one would actually do it. Yeah. No, I think you you, you, you hit the nail on the head with it. How, the whole idea of being... It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that, for the most of us, we cannot ever imagine doing. And so we're fascinated by finding out why other people would do it uh, yeah. and what makes them tick. And, and to sort of jump on what you were saying with maybe we go too far sometimes um that i think there are maybe some true crime podcasts that go too far um in terms of like the the, the morbid side of it is the interesting bit or or if like you know the criminal is the interesting bit or whatever but like don't claim to be then you know your support you support victims or this or the other i think with our show like for instance there's um the casual criminalist simon whistler who you know at one point or other we were top of uh, on charts we would be uh, <laughs> let's do that again um he if he would not listen to this episode because it's too it's too in detail like, i listen to a lot of his podcasts talking about true crime and he will not he doesn't he says he's all about csi not sore he doesn't like yeah. all the morbid side to it and that's fair um but we're about the people that we talk about and we're trying to ask why people do what they do that's what people do whether you like it or not as, as brutal and as horrible as it can be that's what they do and if we was to hide away from that and shy away from it i think we do an injustice to everybody else you know by not telling the true story as is um are we there for the victim arguably not we're not this is not renee's story this is his story and she's a part of it whether you know it's not but then good. i'm gonna turn this on the listeners would you be listening to this episode if it was all about renee i don't think so i don't think people click on that episode 
Yeah, and and we've which is obviously you look, you look at our numbers, and all the awful ones are the ones that people listen to. And going back to Joseph Fritzl, and I said it was a joke earlier, but if we did an episode on Joseph Fritzl but named it after his daughter, we wouldn't get as many clicks because no one knows who she is. No, no, no. I think you're absolutely right, and we will do an episode of him one day. Um, anyway. I think so we maybe, maybe we're, we're all wrong. Maybe we're all wrong. I don't know. But I, I don't think there's anything wrong with morbid fascination. I kind of put it in the same category as like aliens and like werewolves and shit as well. Like it's so far fetched to us, but we're so fascinated in it. Like I love reading about aliens and conspiracies and stuff. I'm like, that's so weird. And I can never get involved with that. But maybe, maybe because as a species, we're scared of the unknown. We have to learn about it as quickly as we can, which is why we try. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably that same instinct that you see in horror films. You know when like someone hears a noise and you as the audience moviegoer are like going, don't go in there, don't go in there. But the person goes in there because you can't help but look. You but need that's, to but, know what it, it is. Exactly. But from an outside eye, we're like, this is a horror movie. We know what's going to happen. But then put yourself in the character's yeah. shoes. They don't know it's a horror movie. That's just their life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think you, you're right. I don't think... There's anything wrong with the morbid curiosity? I think everyone has it, and if you like, if you're trying to be holier than thou, I think you're a liar. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But then going back to Japan, they went too far. That's too yeah. far. <laughs> that's too far. Yeah, that that's giving him that like, you gave him a platform, and that's wrong. That that's celebrating him, and that's wrong because our general oh, I mean, episode has been like, this man is a massive wanker. Like he is yeah. a dickhead of dickheads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not glamorising the guy at all. Like, that's not what no. we're here to do. We're here to call him out as what he is, an arsehole. Um, worse. Uh, but it's <laughs> going to get worse. It's about to get worse. This oh, last thing is, is arguably worse. Um, so, does this morbid fascination excuse any of this weird work that he's asked to do? No, it's wrong. It's predatory. It shouldn't have been allowed to happen. And I would argue that this next one is the worst part of the exploitation of Sagawa. A weird porno was made with him. Yep, just let that hang for a minute. A weird porno was made with Sagawa. Now, the whole thing is filmed like a documentary. They interview the porn actress beforehand, giving her info on the guy that she's about to meet. Um, All she's told that he is a writer. Uh, He's a very interesting guy. And she's going to be spending 24 hours in a flat with him where she's required to have sex with him three times. Jesus. All the while... She has no idea who he really is and what he's done, and for a reason. They intend on having Sagawa tell her everything that he's done, including showing her pictures from his books, after they've had sex for the first time. Now, to be clear, I haven't watched it in its full. I've only seen the talking sections, like afterwards, all that sort of stuff, and that is a hard fucking watch. You can see a visible discomfort in her when he is telling her about his past. And there's a moment where she's seen flicking through the book and she's just stunned at the images. She's then required to have sex with him again. And he's then shown telling her his fantasies that he would like to drink her urine and swallow her saliva. It's sexploitation, man. Like, Yeah, what they've done to this woman is horrendous. Like, truly, it's truly horrific. Awful. Now, after the 24 hours are up, she's seen asking the camera, quote, Is it over? It's over. Thank you. I understand he's full of insecurities. I think it's selfish to let his fantasies grow so wild. I'm just in a state of shock right now. She then cries. 
Fucking it's hell, man. I hope she sued them for everything they're worth. No. No. Because weirdly, she'd go on to become a friend of his. What the Visiting fuck? him. There's so many YouTube... What, we've established what happens to his friends as it visits him, so let's maybe let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she, she'll visit him from time to time later in future. It's really weird. I don't know why. Now, eventually this work would dry out and he couldn't find publishers for his books. He would try to get a job in a French language school in Tokyo and was accepted. Um, the employer was impressed with his courage in using his real identity to apply for the job. Like, this guy's a murdering rapist cannibal. Yeah. He's applied for a job at a French-speaking school. And you know the only reason he speaks fucking French is because he spent time out there and murdered someone. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're pretty good at this. And well done you for using your real name. That is brave. Fuck off. Um, the employer uh, ended up rejecting this uh, application because a lot of the other employees complained and they said, we don't want him working here. So he was not allowed to work there. Uh, both of his parents would die in 2005 when he was 56. Um, he was prevented from attending the funeral. Um, he said in an interview that the loss of his parents hurt more than anything in his life. And in fact, it made him wonder why he never really felt anything for his crime. And it's because he cares about his parents. Like, he cares about them. He didn't yeah. care for Renee. He didn't care. In 2009, he gave an interview with Vice. In it, he says that he, quote, graduated from Western women. He now primarily preferred Japanese women, Okinawan women in particular. In fact, he has posters all over his bedroom wall like some teenager crossing on TV stars. He said that they all looked, quote, tasty. One of them, he said he would like to bury his head in her armpit and die and openly admits that he is a pervert in the interview. He admits that the way he controls his urges is by masturbating whenever he feels the hunger. But now in his 60s, he'd lost the ability to use his wiener and so the hunger grew. He said that he would like to eat another human just one more time before he died. In fact, on that Vice interview, he said, quote, Just today, I saw a girl with a really nice derriere on my way to the train station. When I see things like that, I think about wanting to eat someone again before I die. Fortunately, lock him up. Lock him up. Fortunately, he would never get the chance. In 2013, he suffered a cerebral hemorrhage and required constant care from his brother and some help. He had gastronomic surgery aged 72, which meant that he had to be fed by a tube. His meat-eating days were now over. When asked if he thought he deserved to be punished for what he did, he said that he had been punished all of his life living his life as a known criminal. Everyone knowing what he was, was punishment enough. How much money did he make out of this? Fucking bollocks, innit? Yeah, he made so much money. He had to live the life of luxury. Yeah. On November the 24th, 2022... On November the 24th, 2022, Issei Sagawa, the Kobe cannibal, died of complications from pneumonia in hospital in Tokyo. He was 73 years old. God, so he's only just died. Only recently. Yeah, yeah. Fucking good riddance. <laughs> what a piece of shit. That was so weird. But what a we, fucking we've, story. We've done episodes on pieces of shit before. And like we've established like he was a piece of shit. 
But we've never had like a country just support that person and just make them a celebrity. That's never happened before. Mm. Uh, maybe we yeah. need to get Japan on the podcast and ask them what the <laughs> fuck. Yeah, what a story, man! Like, I, it just—it's bad enough, and then where it goes is just crazy. Yeah, that was. It, it, that's such a weird, it's such a weird episode that because for some of it I felt sick because of those images and I was horrified. Mm. We had some we had some good laughs through it as well, and then most of it was just spent in utter disbelief. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> Hmm, I just thank you, thank you, Patreon voters, for voting that. I'm glad that was brought to our attention that story because I've never heard of this man before. I don't know how you found this guy, Ryan. I, I, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. The main thing I'm yes. going to take away from it is the aftermath of the murder. Like the murder itself is brutal. We've had brutal murders before. That was horrific. But what happened after is mad. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I remember when I. I, I was aware of the story from years and years ago and I was remembering bits of it and I thought he got away completely scot-free, which, to be clear, he fucking does, but he does spend some time in a prison but whilst waiting for trial. Um, so yeah. there were some things that I misremembered and I learnt along the way. Um, but for the most part, yeah, this this story, I remember it as I, as, I, as I saw it a few years back and it's just... I remember I was like, this guy got away with just cannibalising a human and it's just... <sighs> the fact that he became a celebrity... Because of it as well, that's crazy. I wonder if Renee's parents have ever like spoken out about it. Yeah, or even tried to sue someone for it. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Patreon uh, subscribers. Uh, that was obviously brought to us by the Patreon who uh, subscribers who voted for that, so thank you very much. Uh, there will be a new poll going up real soon, so if you too would like to have a say on which episode we do in the future, uh, you can just join us over on Patreon and you'll see a poll um because obviously we get loads of people sending us recommendations and suggestions i've got i've got like a notes tab in my phone that's just like so so ridiculously long from recommendations from everyone you guys sending them in saying oh could Mm. you please talk about this guy talk about that guy um now and and that's the way we've managed to figure out like okay how can we sort of do this in a democratic way and sort of just work our way through it um so if you want to have a say on, uh, on, on who we uh, talk about in future in a very democratic way obviously I put up the suggestions but uh, <laughs> you get to vote on them um, then uh, you can head over to Patreon support us there, you'll get ad free episodes you'll get them a day before everybody else and you get to vote on who we talk about in the future so head over there and consider doing that uh, to support and you the show, get video which... content as and when that happens oh yeah of course, Yeah, we do have video content out on there which is fun, it's a, a, a different venture for us and uh, we will be looking to do more of that, we've got a few ideas in the pipeline, um, but yeah Consider that. We have um, a new line of merch on the store. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, consider checking it out. We've we've uh, we've been inspired by the Napoleon artwork that we got put up on our socials the other day. Um, so that's now on T-shirts and jumpers and hoodies and stuff. So consider picking one of those up. Um, that'd be fun. Um, I really like it. I think it's so funny, little fat Napoleon sat on a chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll buy that and just wear it around Paris and just... Oh, God, yeah. See Take it to Napoleon's tomb and just be like, look at you, Napoleon. You're on my hoodie as a fat, stumpy little man. <laughs> fat man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I had and, uh, a good yeah. time. I had a good time. <laughs> thank you. Right. And we'll see you on the next one. Goodbye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.